I want you to get a number of things to write with because I want, there's a number of things I want to say, so I want you to write um, as we go because I want to instruct you today. The Bible calls creation, creation, the Genesis 1 creation, the work of God's fingers. It's, 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 it's work that comes, let me, in fact, let me read it to you. It's in Psalm 8.3. The Bible says, when I consider, David goes, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, the Bible somehow says this is God's finger work. This is what he does. But here's what got me this week as I was reading through the scriptures in Isaiah 59. Listen to Isaiah 59, 16. It said that he saw that there was no one, this is God speaking, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his, watch this, his own arm brought salvation. Let me read those words again. His arm brought salvation. Pastor Tim, what, what does it mean? What are you saying this? Here it comes. Creation is the work of his fingers. Salvation is the work of his arm, which means what? It takes more work to redeem man than it does to create the heavens and the earth. Think of that. It takes more work to redeem man than it does to create the heavens and the earth, which means creation just needed his fingers. But salvation needed the arms of God to come down, which means that we are more work for God and thank God for his presence and thank God for his patience. We are, you are, I am more work for God than it, than it is to create a universe because all of heaven goes to work for you to be a Christian. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I wept as I watched the testimony of, of that precious brother um, that was deaf and signing how God brought him from atheism right into Christianity. I remember when we baptized him. I remember when God did that amazing work. But in order to do that, that is an effort of heaven. Keep this in mind. Jot this down. No man can make himself a Christian. God alone makes Christians. A Christian is the operation of God. Nothing less, nothing else. You can't make yourself a Christian. All of heaven has to go to work to make you a Christian. That's why the word Christian is such an important word today, folks. We live in a world, get ready, that wants to redefine everything today. From traditional marriage to the redefining of a baby in the womb that it's no longer called a child, but it's called a fetus. Redefining gender based on person's desires, not the physiological birth. All the way to even redefining God today. Missouri congressman last year opened up the 117th Congress and closed it with these words. Instead of saying amen, he said amen and a woman. Deciding that we have not defined God correctly. And can I just help everybody today? God doesn't need us to define him. He is God all by himself. There is a difference, and I want you to listen online, those that are watching from around the world. 
There is a difference between religion and Christianity. Other religions have advice. Christianity has news for you. Let me say that again. Other religions have advice, but Christianity has news. Other religions say you have to do this to connect with God. You must live this way to do these things in order for God to accept you. That's not what Christianity is. That's the advice of religions. Christianity is news. Christianity says this is, is what has been done for you. God sent his son to die for you in order to get you reconnected with God. That's why the word gospel means good news. Folks, can I just mention this to you? Since Christianity is news, I neither have the authority nor the right to redefine what God has done. I just have to tell his story. This is what God has done for you. We don't redefine what God has done. No one has that right. If God has done it, just tell the story. This is what God has done. He loves you. He sent his son. He died for you. He rose again so you can have a brand new life. And he's coming again for us. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is one word I want to make sure we're real clear about today. I want to give you a, a biblical definition of it. It's going to come in simplicity. But I want to talk to you today so because there's no more redefining I want us to ask this question because I want to define it for you is what is a Christian? What is a Christian? We've got to get this one right. I want the Bible to define this word Christian. I want the Bible to tell it like it is nothing watered down and no additives. There is a word, there is a word that this generation has really, I, I don't, I'm not sure if they understand it. We grew up with this word. It, it looked if you had a Bible, there was one other book that you always had with your Bible, and it looked like a phone book, and it was called a concordance. How many remember the word concordance? Everyone who had that had what they called a Strong's concordance. Let me just help you of what a concordance is. Concordance, it's an alphabetical index of every word the Bible uses and where it occurs. You could look up a word alphabetically, the word you can look up anointing from A. You can go down the line and look up the word marriage. You can look up the word um, holy. Any word you want in the Bible. And the Bible will list all the times it is used and where it is found in the Bible. Now, here's what's amazing. If you look under C for Christian, take that big, giant book, that looks like a phone book. Let me just even ask this today. How many have a, a concordance still in their possession? Look at this. We have a lot of older folks here today. So let me, I do too. I do too. So let me just make sure you know I'm in your club. I was in a barber uh, shop recently and, and somebody, was, somebody was getting their hair cut and, and the person looked too young to have gray hair. And I found out that, that now young people dye their hair gray because I just said, come to Times Square Church. We'll do it for free. You just come here, the battles, the battles just keep coming and coming. And so that's, that's just what we do. Listen, I may be gray up here, but I'm, I'm, I'm hot in my heart for Jesus down here. If you were to open up that concordance and look under C, for the word Christian. This may surprise you. The word Christian 
is only mentioned three times in the entire New Testament. Three times. You would figure a word like that would be pages when you look at it. When the, because when the Bible is it's careful of defining certain words, we've got to make sure that we're not adding anything else to those and we let the Bible define what that word is. See, Jesus said, I want you to get this. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit, not their gifts. You will know them by their fruit. Not, or, or let me say it to you like this. You can fake gifts, but you can't fake fruit. You can fake preach. You can fake whatever, but you can't fake love. You can't fake patience. You can't fake gentleness and long-suffering. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits in Matthew 7, 16. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they, Jesus asked. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. And then he says this, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Think of those two words, fruit and gifts. See, fruit, get this, jot these two things down. Fruit manifests the life of Jesus. The fruit that is found in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, it manifests the life of Jesus where gifts manifest the ministry of Jesus. One is ministry and one is life. See, fruit is what's natural without ever effort. It comes out of you. You don't have to make it happen. And here's what Jesus said. Listen about, about gifts for a second. Remember these, this, this in Matthew 7? He goes on to say this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. That's the one who will enter. And then he says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, here it comes, folks, not fruit, but gifts. Lord, did we not gift, prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out gifts, demons, and in your name perform many miracles, gifts. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Which means you can fake gifts, but you can't fake the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that's why I want you to see the fruit of this word that comes out of the scriptures three times. We say the word Christian often, but the Bible will use it sparingly to make it easy for us to ultimately get this one right. So I wanna build our definition and see the fruit that begins to come out of this word. I want you to see the only three Bible verses that has the word Christian in it, and I wanna build from there today and challenge you with this. Those that are Christian, I'm gonna challenge you, and those that maybe like the video that we saw today of our precious brother in the deaf ministry, I wanna also challenge those that maybe even here today as an agnostic, as an atheist, Maybe, maybe you have been in part of a religion, but you've never heard the good, the good news of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to believe for God to do something special. So let me give you the three verses, and let me teach you through this. So let's get ready to see the fruit of this word, and let God begin to define it through his scriptures today. First time the word Christian is ever used in the Bible. Here it is. Number one, jot this down, Acts 11.26. 26. 
very first time. And here it comes. And the disciples were first called, what's the word? Christians in Antioch. And here's what I want you to write down. I believe that a Christian, here it is, is a reminder. I'm going to explain that. A Christian is a reminder. See, the church didn't make up the name Christian for themselves. The word was put upon them by an antagonistic city that was totally against them. This isn't the Christians coming up with a logo or coming up with a mascot. This was a name that was put upon them. In fact, the world put this upon them. The word Christian to them was a derogatory slang made up by non-Christians. That's who made up the word against them. The group in Antioch said, let's call them Christians. And here's what's amazing. You ready for this? The word Christian literally means little Christ. That's what it means. The city was saying, you remind us, your fruit, your life reminds us of the man on the cross that we crucified a year ago. That you remind us of him, so let's call them Christians. This derogatory slang, one of the greatest compliments I've ever received was from a prostitute that I was sharing the good news with on the streets of Detroit. Her name was Kamuchi, and she was the theater prostitute of the building that we were wanting to buy to put a church. Many of you know when we, Cindy and I started in Detroit, we bought a 900-seat XXX movie theater and turned it into a church. They ran the movies till the day we bought it, and then we turned it into a church. And Kamuchi worked that theater. And this young lady, before she became a Christian, gave me the greatest compliment, gave me the Christian slang word that, she, that, was, that to me was so endearing. She said to me, she said that, that she looked at me and she says, you, her words, you're like the man with the thorns. It's the only way she could describe it. You're like the man with the thorns. Let me tell you the backstory of it. Kamuchi came into the church one day and asked me to pray for her. She used to call me Father Tim. She said, Father Tim, I need you to pray. When I went to lay hands upon you, she said, stop. She said, you can't pray for me. She said, I don't have any money. I said, Kamuchi, what are you talking about? This is what she said. She says, the other churches that I've been to in this area, the ministers charged me to pray for me. And this is what she said, her words. She said, they will open up the Bible. They give me a verse. They'll turn and go Ephesians 3, 1, and 2. 3, 1, and 2. And she says, that means they gave me, it, from the Holy Spirit, they gave me the three-digit lottery number that I, I give them $25. They give me Ephesians 3, 1, 2. I bet 3, 1, 2. And then they pray for me. I... I I read to her that Matthew 7 verse, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I said, you can fake fruit, fake gifts, but you can't fake fruit. And when she looked at it, this is what Kamuchi said. She goes, that's how you do it. I said, what are you talking about? She says, the numbers on top of the page. 
She said, I never knew what the numbers meant. So seven means chapter and 20 means verse. She goes, give me another one. So I said, okay. So all of a sudden I said, okay, I want you to go. I said, let's go through this. And I opened up the Bible and I said, let's turn to Romans chapter three. And so she's turning in the Bible. And I said, I want you to read this out loud. Read 310. She goes, okay, there is none righteous, not even one. I said, got it. I said, okay. She goes, give me another one. I said, okay, let's go to Romans chapter six, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. She says, this is amazing. I'm finally figuring. I said, okay. She goes, give me another. I said, okay, let's go to Romans chapter 10. She has no idea I'm taking her on the Romans road at this point. And so all of a sudden she goes, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God will raise him from the dead, you shall be saved. She goes, this is amazing. She says, you're saying to me that if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart that God was raised from the dead for me, that my life can be changed. And I looked at this less than a hundred pound prostitute whose body she didn't know at that time is riddled with AIDS. And I, as a side note, after going to heaven and seeing Jesus himself, I want to see my dad. My mom right now is a hundred years old. She'll probably live till Christ comes back. I'll tell you that right now. But I'll tell you this. The next person I want to see is a little 90 pound prostitute that has been changed by the power of Jesus. And watch that. I watched her. That day, this is what she said to me. She said, you're telling me if I accept Christ that when I die, there's a place I can go that I'll never cry again. I said, there's a place just like that. I said that you'll never cry again. And she goes, are you serious? And then I said, I want, I want you to go to one more place, Kamuchi. And then I brought her all the way over to Revelation chapter 22. And I just said, I want you to read this. I want you, to, Kamuchi, to look at this with me. And all of a sudden, we began to read, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, and it says, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death or any mourning or any crying or any pain, for all those old things have passed away. And I remember leading that precious woman to Christ, and it all started because the fruit, the life just reminded her, you're like the man with the thorns. See, a real Christian looks like Jesus, not like a church. A real Christian looks like Jesus, not like a denomination. A real Christian looks like the life of Christ. And folks, if people look at you and think of Times Square Church, then we failed. I don't want them to think of us. My goodness, I want them to think of him. I want them to think that you are like the man with the thorns. When the world sees us, do they see the real thing? Do they see the real Jesus and do they want Jesus when they look at us? Just to see a little bit of our lives, are they going, I want what you have? When Cindy and I first got married, probably one of the biggest challenges that I had as a husband was going to the mall. And it was those moments, but I found a way through this and it was called the food court. And so when we would go, but there was one special place in the food court that this is a mall that many of the younger folks don't even know what this is. 
but it's, it's because for us, when we grew up, you went to one spot and all these stores were there. Now you go to a website, but we used to go to a thing called a mall with our concordance. And so we would, while we were there, there was a cookie place at that time called Mrs. Fields. Oh, this is, this is a good, this is a good church. This is a good church. And they were amazing. I would order the same thing every time and then they would, they would hook me in. I would go, I want these two cookies and a milk every time. It was perfect. And they, they would say something like this, but if you buy eight more, we'll give you one for free. And I would go like, I'm in, I'm in. How many know when you, when you go from cash to a credit card, you bought too many cookies at that time? And I remember coming back and Cindy would look at me. She goes, they got you again. They got you again. They got you again. I, I read the story of Debbie Fields who started this. And Debbie Fields started this cookie business in Palo Alto, California. And they told her, they said, soft cookies will never work. People just want hard cookies. And in Palo Alto, California, it said that she would walk the streets herself with her own plate and put little samples of her very first shop and walk through Palo Alto and say, try this, try this. People would try it, and this is what she would say. Once they would eat that little sample, and they'd go like, this is amazing. Then she'd go, if you want the big cookie, you gotta go to my store, and you gotta, and they would eat the little, the little sample, but in order to get the big cookie, they had to go to the store. Folks, let me just help you. You're not the big cookie. You're the sample of who he is. So what happens is when people come to you, don't pretend you're bigger than you are. When they come to you, you go, it's not me, but let me take you to the one that can change you from the inside out. I'm I don't know if Jesus has ever been called the big cookie, but I'm telling you, he is a big God that can change. I'm just a sample, you're a sample, but he's the real deal. A Christian is just a reminder that we're samples, but he's the real deal. Number two. The second time the word Christian is ever used in the Bible is Acts 26, 28. Let me read it to you. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you're going to persuade me to become a what? I think, here it comes. Christian is not just a reminder, but a Christian is a persuader. He's a persuader. Paul is talking to the most powerful person in the land. He's talking to the king at this moment who is not a Christian. Now, let me give you a side note here for a second because I feel like I need to say this to you. What was Paul doing in Acts 26? You ready for this? In Acts 26, as he's standing before King Agrippa, Paul is telling his conversion experience for the third time in the book of Acts. Do you know what makes this amazing? Those that are watching online, you have to hear this. Paul was saved, became a Christian in Acts 9, 34 AD. 
Paul is telling this story that we just read, telling that story, Acts 9 story, to Agrippa in Acts 26, 62 AD, which means this, Paul has been telling his conversion story for 28 years, which means it can be new. It may be old to you, but I'm telling you, you have to tell your story on how Jesus changed you. If what you think is, well, you don't understand, I was born again 30 years ago, 40 years. You don't have to be born again last week to tell that story. Your born again experience should never get old. So the great evangelist D.L. Moody would tell his story wherever he went and someone said to him one time, I've had people say this to me, Moody, we've heard that story. To his response would be, people need to hear that story and I have to tell it every single time. People need to hear your story. Tell it over and over again that this is what happened to me. This is what God did in my life. Be the persuader. The apostle Paul was telling his conversions experience a third time and not as information. He was persuading a king. The apostle Paul wasn't dispensing information. He was trying to persuade this man to be a Christian, which means this. Jesus is not just right for me. Jesus is right for the planets. You don't just tell the story going, here's what happened to me. It's, this is what happened to me. And it can happen to you. See, keep this in mind. Your faith may be personal, but it's not private. It, you have to have a personal encounter, but it's not private. We're persuaders. That's why someone said the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. We want it to get there on time. I want that gospel story to be told while people are breathing, while we still can talk to them. I want them to hear the gospel story. That when we have opportunities, tell your experience. You may go, I haven't read the Bible all the way through. Tell your conversion story. I don't, I don't know all the words and what they mean. I, didn't, I don't even have a concordance. I don't know. Tell your conversion story. Just tell what God has done, your born-again experience. Just like we heard today on the screen, that while we have the opportunity, I have, um, I have been privileged to grow up in a family that many of them are New York's finest and New York's bravest. I have a family that's full of New York City policemen and New York City firemen. And I'm so thankful for them. And it is a privilege to do that. I am, well, everybody from my father and uncles all became New York City policemen and firemen. All these Italians came over, son of immigrants. I was the black sheep of the family. I became a, a minister. So I remember being asked, I was in Oakland, California doing something there and one of New York City's bravest passed away shortly, wasn't due to it, but it was shortly after 9-11. And I remember they called me up and said, would you do the funeral? It's going to be in a couple days. And I remember flying from Oakland, stopping in Detroit. Someone brought me a suit and then came and flew into LaGuardia and then in Queens, New York, watched the amazing, uh, the protocol and, the, and the, the pomp and circumstance of what it is to bury one of New York's bravest. These men and women that, that had faced literally just death-defying situations for us. 
every single day in our great city. And as I was coming in to do this funeral, I'm sitting there looking at these men and women from chiefs all the way down, lieutenants and captains to, to all of these incredible firemen, the place of standing room only, coming to honor one of their, one of their fallen men. And I remember speaking at this funeral and thinking to myself, I'm a persuader that the word eulogy actually comes from the word which means evangelism. The, the, the actual word eulogy is like a Greek word. Evangelism is you in galo. The, the word actually means good news. That, that I realize that every time I'm going to do a eulogy, that it's not a time to simply tell all the great stories about the person that now has passed into eternity. This is the opportunity to become a persuader. This, and I'm thinking, these men and women put their life on the line every single day. I've got to make sure I persuade. And I remember the Holy Spirit convicting me and saying, put everything away and tell them the good news. And it was one of the very first times I felt the power of God come into that funeral home in Queens, New York. And as I shared, I brought them through. I went from Genesis on the creation of God, the fall of man. I walked them through the Old Testament on how man has failed, got to the gospel that God loved us so much that he sent his only son. And that Jesus who was sent from heaven died on the cross for every one of your sins. And then he rose from the dead, was brought into heaven. He's on the right hand of God the Father, but he won't be there for long because he's coming back again. And you thought a New York fire was hot? There is a fire in the book of Revelation that burns hotter than any fire you can face. And the cross of Jesus Christ came to put that fire out. So you can be born again today. And I remember telling every one of the New York's bravest, close your eyes, bow your heads, and if you want to be born again. And I remember that day, all, every hand went up in that place. Every, so I said, I, I thought, they didn't understand. So I, made, I said, put your hands down because none of you understood what I said, what it means to be born again. I said, if you want God to come into your life and change you, if you want Jesus to come, that you don't have to face the fires of hell. I want you to raise, those all the same hands went up. I couldn't believe it. At the end, one of the men, one of the lieutenants gave me their fireman's coat, their, their, the, 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 the um, lieutenant thing was on it, New York fire, and he says, listen, I can't give you very much, but I want you to have my coat. This is what I wore at 9-11. I want you to take it with you. This, Folks, I wore that, and I remember, it was a hot day in New York. I wore that. I was sweating, but I'm telling you, I was wearing that coat. I went back through LaGuardia, there, and uh, TSA, got on that plane, and I remember sitting on that plane, drenched in sweat, but I had on my fireman's coat. And let me tell you, that guy next to me looked at me and he saw the coat and he says, are you a fireman? I said, yes, I am. I said, I put out hell and make sure that people know. And he says, what? What are you talking about? So I took that man and I started in Genesis. I told him about the fall of man. I walked him through the cross. And when we got to Revelation, I said right here in C13B, you can be saved from hell because God came 2,000 years ago to change you from the inside out.
We are reminders. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not in a big cookie. Tell them that right now. You're just a reminder. Number two, we're persuaders. I'm not here to give you information for a notebook. I'm here to make sure that you get to heaven. That's what I want. Those that are watching online, those that may be watching throughout the week, I want you to get to heaven. I don't want you tuning into Times Square Church. We'll be gone one day. I want to see you in heaven. We are reminders. We are persuaders. And let's close with this as we finish. 2 Peter, 1 Peter 4.16 is the final time that the word Christian is used. Let the Bible define you. So in order to be a Christian, we are, not to be a Christian, the fruit of Christianity is one, we are reminders. Number two, we are persuaders. And number three, this is going to be the tough one. Let me read it to you. First Peter 4.16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in, in this name. This is the tough one. A Christian is a sufferer for doing what's right. I added that parenthesis there for doing what's right because it's a contrast to the verse that precedes it in verse 15. Because verse 15 and verse 16 talk about two kinds of suffering. The two kinds of suffering that's there in that book is this. There's suffering that comes from sin, and there's suffering that comes from being a Christian. And, he's, and, he, and he delineates between these two. Listen to verse 15. He says, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. He said, then, then what he was saying was, that's not, that's not godly suffering. When you do dumb stuff, you're not suffering. Some of you go like, the Yankees are down three games. You're not suffering. Okay, let me just help you. You're not suffering. The season may be over. The Mets didn't even get through the first round. I'm suffering as a believer. No, you're not. You're not suffering. You're suffering from, from, that's not even suffering. Many that are listening online, I want to talk to you for a second. Many that are listening online from around the world understand the word suffering as a Christian. Those that have been watching online from the Middle East, you understand what it is to suffer as a Christian. I don't say this meanly, but us here in America don't have the complete concept of what it means to be a Christian, but we're not far from it. I want you to listen carefully. We're not far from it. It's fast approaching. How is it approaching, Pastor Tim? Here it comes. When you define things biblically, you will suffer as a Christian. When you start defining things with what this book says, let me explain to you what I mean by suffering, because we're not choosing suffering. The great the great devotional writer, Oswald Chambers, listen to these words. He said it like this. He said, to choose to suffer means that there's something wrong. But to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, that's a different thing. Listen to these words. No saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Do you know how important that is, folks, to understand? What, what he was saying was this. We choose God, and by nature, 
of God's will. We're part of a world that will bring suffering because we choose God. We don't choose suffering. We choose God. As a Christian, you have to be able to do what's right without a standing ovation, without a plaque. Most of the right things you will do on your job, on your campus, in the country that you're watching from, your only audience will be God. But to get heaven's approval is worth everything that's there. And understand, because really what suffering does, it really determines what kind of Christian you are. Or I like what one man said. He said, Christians are like tea bags. You never know what kind you are until you're in hot water. How many have been in some hot water? <laughs> just, that determines, that's it. Not, not if you show up on Sunday. The Christian is going to have to live with God's smile when the world is frowning upon you. Jesus said, the world hates you because it hated me first. Listen to it. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it even hated you in John 15, 18. That's why I, be, I truly believe that when we get to those moments that we're going to have to define things biblically, we're going to have to define things outside the doors of this church, suffering comes. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said the ultimate measure of a man is not whether he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but when he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Folks, can I just tell you, and I don't consider this suffering. I remember, I remember months ago when I had to sit in this pulpit and define what we believe that in the womb of a mother is a living baby. Don't let the world, and we went right to Psalm 139. Folks, look at me for a second. I defined it through the scripture. I let the scripture define it. But that is a living soul that says, I've, I've written your story. This is what God says, not what you say and not what legislation says. God says, I've written the story of those children before they even came out of that womb. Now, I want you to understand, when I said that on that Sunday, listen, balcony, listen, main floor, when I said it on that, I watched 20 people walk out on me. It doesn't affect me. I'm going to preach this Bible. It doesn't affect me. It won't affect me. You can, listen, I don't consider that suffering because I'm preaching and you're not clapping for me and I'm going like, oh, I'm suffering up here. Let me just tell you, we don't understand that. That's not hot water to me. I'll stand for this word. We'll stand here for this word. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute us. Why? 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 Because we're connected to Jesus, not to a church. He's the head. We're just his body, is what the Bible says. Listen to these words. But here's the key. If you're connected to Jesus, no matter what you go through, you're going to finish this thing. You're going to finish. If you're... If you're connected to us, God help you. But if you're connected to Jesus, you will make it through. That's why if you, if you keep coming here, we're going to point. Remember, we're, we're just samples trying to get you to, to, the, to, the, to Jesus. Because when you're connected to him, you win because he is one. Hey, listen. Listen. John 16, these things, Jesus said, I've spoken to you so that in me, when you get into hot water, you're going to have peace because in the world, 
you will have tribulation. But then he says this, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You see what he just said? Look at that, look at that on the screen. It doesn't, it, it says, because I thought it should say this. I thought it, Deron should say, and Devon, I thought it should say, take courage. You have overcome the world. He doesn't say that. He said, I overcame the world. I grew up, when I grew up in school, I didn't run track. I wasn't running to go nowhere. I played baseball. We'd watch them run track. But here's what I always used to see them do when they ran track. Did you ever notice when they got to the finish line, it was this long stretch to get across. It didn't go like this. It didn't go like this. What went ahead first? What, what was the first thing to cross the finish line? Your head. And this is what Jesus said. I'm the head. You're the body. They didn't, they didn't give the medal to someone that won and go, the head wins, but the feet lost. <laughs> the head wins, but the legs lost. If the head wins, the rest of the body wins on that day. Which means if you're connected to Jesus and if he gets across the line, guess what, folks? I go across. You go across. Isaiah goes across. You, huh? Every one of us, Richie and David and Duran and Yuka and Devon, everyone, if you're connected to here, Listen, I don't know what you're going to do, but if you're connected to Jesus, we get to go across that finish line because he has overcome the world. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Oh, I'm so excited. What is a Christian? Listen, he is a reminder. He is a persuader. And even if we are suffering, let me just tell you this. He goes with us this entire time. He takes us through every single, and he goes across, hallelujah, I go across also. And some of you have been here, and you are Christians, and you have forgotten who you are. You got caught up on the gift part, but you forgot the fruit part of it. And I'm just here to tell you this, I just want to be a reminder of who he is. I want to be able to make sure that I'm a persuader wherever I go. I don't want to just, just give people information. They come here, do that. I want people to be persuaded on what Christ can do for them. And I pray, God, give me the strength to stand. And the only way I can have strength to stand is to be connected to him who has already won. He's already won. Can I just speak to the Christians here for a second, those that are online and those that are here today? If you're here today and just say, Pastor Tim, I get it. This is what my job is as a Christian. I am a reminder. I am a persuader. And there are times I will suffer and have to face it. But I'll tell you what, I'm connected to the head in the midst of the suffering. But I'm asking God to strengthen me right now. Remember what we said. It takes more work to create a universe than it does to save somebody. His fingers created the moon and the stars, but his arm was the one that brought salvation to man. And if you're here today and just go, because you, you, let me just tell you, 
or every one of you, including me, every one of us on this stage, we're all projects for God. And, and some of you more than others. Some of you had you both arms going like, oh, you got to get them right. But, but that's okay. He's committed to you. And if you're here today in the balcony, the main floor, those that are watching online, and you just go, Pastor Tim, I need God's strength that I'm being a reminder. I'm standing firm, even in the hard times, and I'm being a persuader. I'm asking God to give me that strength that when I walk outside these doors, I want to be a Christian in every capacity that's called to. And I need, I need help to do that. How many would you say, I need God's help to do what God's asked? If that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to ask the team to sing. I want us to pray for you right now. Those that are, that are watching from Chile and Hungary and Poland and Ireland and those that are in this place, keep this in mind. You can't do this unless you're connected to Jesus. You can't do it. You need that relationship with him. And Jesus calls that relationship being born again. Because you're in church doesn't mean you're changed. Okay, keep this in mind. All I'm here to tell you, religion says do this. Christianity says it's news, good news. That there, for every one of your lives, I have good news for you. God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die for every single one of us. And that death on the cross was the death we were all supposed to die. But he said, I'm going to die in their place. Because sin had a penalty to it. And he died for every single one of us. Those that are online from around the world and right here in New York City. He's died for every single one of us. I want to, look at me for a second. I want to persuade you. I have no other, I have one, I have one mission. is to persuade you today. I want to persuade you not to be church people. Not to be religious people. I want to persuade you to be a Christian that loves Jesus with all of their heart, mind, soul, and body. I have one purpose here today. There could be people, let me just tell you this. This poor choir, this poor band may hear me every single week talk about being born again. Because that's what I want to do. I don't want to go to heaven alone. I want to bring everybody I can with me. What are you talking about? I want to bring everybody I can. For some, it may be redundancy, but for me, it's life. And today, your life can be changed. It can be changed. This brings joy to my heart. What are you doing, Pastor? I'm persuading. That's what I'm doing. I don't care if you're a king. I don't care if you're an athlete. I don't care if you're an ambassador. I don't care if you're homeless. We had some years ago, we had here at this altar, Superman and the Statue of Liberty get born again. If you're ever wondering if Superman's saved, yes, he is. And the Statue of Liberty. But today could be a day that he changed you, that born-again relationship. God changes you from the inside out. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's when you trust your life over to him. You admit I'm a sinner. You ask him to come in and change you from the inside out and say, God, you're in charge of my life, not on Sundays, but every single day. Be Lord of my life. You heard the gospel. You heard me walk that precious prostitute through it. Can I tell you why I was in 
Oakland, California, was doing chapel for one of the Major League Baseball teams. And I sat in a room with 12 millionaires making money that I will never experience in my life. And I don't need to, I bless them. And if you're here as an athlete, you got to bless you. But here's what I looked at them. I said, and I looked at every one of these athletes from this Major League Baseball team, and I said, I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to go do a funeral, but on Monday, on Monday, I'm going to be speaking at our soup kitchen. And here's what I told them. I'll be speaking the same message that I just told you in the clubhouse. Because it doesn't matter how much you make or if you're in a soup kitchen, we all need Jesus. Every one of us needs Jesus. That's what I did. I preached the same exact message at a soup kitchen that I preached in a Major League Baseball clubhouse. Because all of us need Christ. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. And if you're here today and say, I want that relationship with God that you're talking about. I want to be born again online or in this place. We're all looking around. Everybody, every head up, balcony. And you say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to start a journey with God. Put me in that prayer. Let me start it today and we'll all pray it together. But I want to be part of that without any hesitation. If that's you, hold up your hand as high as you can. Say, put me in that prayer. Hold it up as high as you can. Keep them up. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. I want to see every hand that's up that says, I want that relationship with God. Look at that, folks. Look around you and just, and just like, let's thank God for what he's doing. Online. You type the word decided in the chat, in the chat line. Uh, come on. I want us all to pray this together. Let's every one of us pray this. Come on. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, now we, let's say this loud. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, put those hands together. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.